0: Well, happy Easter, everybody. So, so good to see you. It's so good to see some of you that we haven't seen since before COVID. What a wonderful Resurrection Sunday, amen. We're all here together. And folks who are joining us online, we're so glad that you're with us as well. Thank you. Thank you for worshiping in your homes today, for being here. And those of you who are here in person. A couple things as we get started this morning. Um, First of all, we have several guests in the room, and so we have lots of folks visiting family, so we're glad you've come our way. My name is Greg, and I'm one of the ministers here on staff. Um, if it looks like I'm moving a little strangely today or am a little bit robotic, it's because I'm having actually quite a bit of back pain today. Uh, the last uh, 36 hours have not been a lot of fun, Did, overdid it a little bit, moving some stuff around uh, during a funeral on Thursday. So we'll go to make a make a deal together. We'll make a pact right now. If I just kind of fall over, uh, all of my notes are right here. Okay, so whoever's close, just come on up, and you can never miss a beat. All right, I'll just kind of roll off the stage, and we'll uh, we'll keep on going. Uh, we have some ways to remember this very special Easter that God has given us in 2021, when so many. Uh, incredible things are happening as far as re-engaging face-to-face and person-to-person. We have a photo booth set up down the hall. If you'd like to remember uh, a token of memory today, going all the way just straight out these back doors and down the hall, Jenny Livingston set up down there after our assembly time. We appreciate the varvels helping us pull that uh, Backdrop together and Melena Brandon for doing a lot of coordinating as uh, as well. Kathy Anderson for draping our cross uh, in Resurrection White. And so, uh, thank you, all of you, Servant Hearts, for helping uh, Bob Dillman help with the video. And so, a lot of folks that pitched in to make for a very special Easter Sunday. I want to also let you know that uh, there's a discussion guide on our church app. And so, if you'd like to use that in your small groups or in your personal study time this week, and if you're not familiar with our church app, just text 77977 uh, to uh, uh, text AM Church app to that number. And uh, you can also find it, of course, on um, the uh, App Store. So I'm grateful that you're here. We're beginning a four week series today entitled If Then. And let me tell you what that's all about. A few weeks ago I was in a conversation with uh, Tyler Josephson, some of you know Tyler and Jaina. They uh, are young scholars who are spending an unbelievable amount of time in the Word of God right now. Tyler is working on his master's degree at Dallas Theological Seminary, deep love for the Word of God and really putting me in a place where a lot of wheels in my own mind are spinning. But as we were talking, I had a realization, of something that I'd never really paid a lot of attention to in the past, and that is how many if-then statements there are in Scripture. It's not just dozens, it's like hundreds. And some of these are actually pretty familiar. There's one in particular that's gotten a lot of attention in the past few years um, from 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if... My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will appear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But this is one of just many in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, we can go all the way back to the Genesis account if you look in the Tower of Babel narrative. For example, as men were trying to build this ziggurat up to the heavens so that it would create a pathway for the gods to come down and interact with men, God is watching this. And he basically says, if, as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do is impossible for them, basically meaning they're going to be able to get themselves into all kinds of messes. Okay? That's what God basically is saying there. So one more if-then statement. But there are many others Mount Sinai narrative is God is speaking to Moses and telling him, I want you to share this message with the children of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you my, uh, to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession And then, of course, this is one that most of us probably have on our refrigerators, but if when the priest examines the sore, it does not seem to be more than skin deep and there's no black hair in it, then the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. Ooh, That's in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I want to let you know right now that if that had been a requirement of modern-day priestly duties, I would have chosen another career path, okay? I just want you to know that. There are more enjoyable if-then statements in Scripture, such as those that reveal the nature of covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 12, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors the heart of covenant is not just in the old testament it's also present in the new testament romans chapter 8 and verse 10 as we see the power of the spirit to bring us into covenant relationship but if christ is in you then even though your body is subject to death because of sin the spirit gives life because of righteousness Now we have a grammar challenge with if, then, our OCD grammar people, this kind of drives them crazy because apparently you're not supposed to have both words in the same sentence. Well sometimes the word if or the word then is omitted or sometimes both are omitted for the sake of grammatical clarity but one or both can be inferred since the outcome is linked to the in uh, in the verse, the, the, the if in the verse. So, for instance, consider the tactics that Satan has used from the very beginning of time. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we notice in verses 4 and 5, you will not certainly die, the serpent says to Eve. For God knows that when, that's just another way of saying if, you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and inferred, but certainly there then you will be like God knowing good and evil. These were the tactics that Satan used in the very, very beginning. He's never abandoned those tactics. He uses them against you and me today. He even used them against Jesus, or at least tried to. We see in Matthew chapter four, beginning at verse two, after fasting 40 days and for 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, once again inferred, but certainly there, then tell these stones to become bread. We see this if-then statement in relationship to the fruit of discipleship. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. A new command I give you, John chapter 13, verse 34, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. And by this, then, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And so here's the reality. There are hundreds of if-then correlations in Scripture. But if you think about it, much of our lives revolve around if-then statements. We started processing these before we even had conscious awareness that they existed. We heard all kinds of if-then statements when we were children. Here are just a handful of the if-then statements that we used to hear from our parents. At least I heard some of these from my parents. Maybe you heard them for yours. If you don't stop making that face, then it will freeze and be like that forever. Anybody else's parents ever say that? Okay, if I, got a, I can get a witness here and there. Yep, yep. What about this one? If you swallow watermelon seeds, then watermelons will grow in your stomach. Anybody ever hear that one? Okay, now I know people even today, adults, that say, oh, I hate watermelon. I think it's post-traumatic stress disorder from hearing this when they were children. I don't think it's the taste of watermelon. I think you just have this subconscious thing going on that you just really cannot embrace that fruit. Or is it a veggie? I don't know. We'll figure that out later. If you swallow your gum, then it takes seven years to digest. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It takes a couple of days, okay? Now, I'm not saying go start eating gum, because you eat a lot of gum, that could be bad for you, of course, but this is not true. And I remember as a child, once I swallowed my gum and I was in agony. I thought I was going to die, you know? It took me like seven years to get over it. (laughs) Here's one that might be interesting to you as well. If you swim too soon after eating, then you will drown. Not true, Uh, especially if you're eating seedless watermelon, as the kid in the picture is, and then you doubly don't have to worry about it. Um, sometimes, though, parents didn't even have to go the if-then route. Sometimes we inferred um, a then even if there wasn't an overt if. I'll give you an example. A mom was telling the story of Adam and Eve to her son. getting ready to go to sleep at, at, at bedtime. And she got to the part in the story where God caused Adam to go into a sleep and he took the rib from Adam and from that rib he formed Eve. A couple of days later, the mom hears groaning coming from the other room and she sticks her head around the corner and the little boy is lying there clutching his side and she said, what's wrong, sweetie? And he said, I, th- I think I'm getting a wife. Okay, so <laughs> sometimes we infer, right, a uh, 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 then just by absolutely hearing the if. What about in the world of mathematics? In geometry, if-then statements help us with deductive reasoning. We're about to geek out here for just a little bit, okay? This gets kind of exciting. The if part of that statement is called the hypotheses, and the then part is called a conclusion. Hypotheses followed by a conclusion is called an if-then statement or a conditional statement. Geometry people, can I get a no? Oh yeah? All right, the four of you who are really into that, you know, It kind of helps us understand. What about computer programmers? Do we have any computer programmers in the room? Anybody at all? You're like, yeah, like I'm gonna raise my hand after you just slam the geometry people. (laughs) An if then statement is a programming conditional statement that if proved true, performs a function or displays information. So computer programmers in the room, here's here's a little uh, quiz for you. True or false? Uh, if, um, uh, and if then, uh, or if else statement, if then or else else statement is, uh, or its equivalent is found in every programming language, right? Let me say it again. And if then else statement or its equivalent is found in every programming language, true or false? True. I heard some people say true. You're exactly right. That's it. So, okay. Not all of us are math people. Uh, not all of us are computer programming people, but there is one Universal truth that we all know when it comes to if, then statements. It's a universal truth. We all know it to be true. If it's on the Internet, then it must be true. Albert Einstein, who invented the light bulb, who lived from 1996 to the present. Okay, so seriously. If, then statements permeate almost every aspect of our lives if this happens then if that happens then that if you say if the money doesn't come in if the rent goes up if she breaks up with me the list just goes on and on and on But there is one overarching if-then phenomenon that helps put every if-then situation we face into its proper perspective. Are you ready for it? Here it is. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then that changes everything. I love this quote by Tim Keller who writes, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The impact of the most powerful if-then statement ever made is explained in many places in the Bible. But the one we're going to look at this morning is from Romans chapter 6. And we're going to spend some time looking at verses 1 through 14. And I just want to encourage you this morning, write these words deep on your heart. If you're new to Christianity, I want to encourage you to please Especially just just hang in there with us and pay really close attention to what God's holy word reveals and consider that if this is true, then what might be a next step for you? Romans 6, beginning at verse 1 What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Interesting question Paul poses here. So shall we go on sinning? It's important to understand, Paul isn't talking about behavior. Rather, he's asking a question. It's the same kind of question that a a loving father might ask a son who has left home and is wasting his life it's a question that might sound like this, are you, are you just gonna stay in that mess? Are you gonna take up permanent residence in distant country? Or, and this is a big or, are you coming home? I have a simple question that I just wanna pose for your consideration is your life a mess? I mean, is it a mess? If the answer to that question is yes, notice, if the answer to that question is yes, then it's not gonna get better by sinning more. Paul continues by asking, don't you know there's a better place? Don't you know there's a better way? A better purpose? He he says it like this, beginning in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live New life. I love what NT Wright writes on this passage. He says, Paul's strong argument is not simply that there are two ways to live and that one must choose between them. It is that the baptized have changed their ground and must learn. To behave according to the territory they now find themselves in, like someone moving to a new country and having to learn the appropriate language. This is why. It's why later in the chapter, Paul will use Exodus parallels to warn against attitudes and behaviors that would be like Israel wanting to go back to Egypt and become slaves all over again. You see, when we say goodbye to our former way of life, when we commit ourselves to Jesus, when we die to self, our baptism proclaims to the world, I am his and he is mine and I have a new life. In the same way that Israel went through the water and they were no longer slaves to sin, no longer residents of Egypt, so have we been released from our chains in baptism. And we have a new address. We have a new residence. There's a Contemporary praise song that's circulating. It's encouraging Christians worldwide to own this new identity, to own this new place of residence. Perhaps some of you are familiar with this song. If you are, sing it along with me. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Why be baptized? Why engage in that physical act? Because it has a much deeper spiritual meaning. Because if we believe what Jesus said is truth, and not only what he said, but what he did, his dead body went into a tomb and his live body came out. And if he lives then that changes everything. Paul put it this way as he continues in Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in death like his, then we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't race past that verse. Dwell on it. Let it sink in deeply into your head and into your heart. Do you have troubles in this life? Do you have worries? I think all of us would say, yes, we all do. But believers in Jesus, we see these troubles differently than those who don't know Jesus. We see them through a lens of hope We see that the trouble is not the end. The trouble is just one more opportunity to glorify God and to look for where and how he is at work. Several weeks ago, I sat in Sammy and Sharon Brooks' living room. Sammy's body was riddled with cancer. One of the very last things he said to me was, it's all in God's hands. And he wasn't just talking about the cancer. He was talking about it all. Every bit of it is in God's hands. And that's what being united with Christ in his baptism, that's what it does to us. That's what it does for us. Becoming a disciple of Jesus doesn't make temptation go away, but it makes us view temptation differently. It doesn't make pain go away but it helps us understand pain differently. I could go on and on but here's the bottom line. If we believe that Jesus lives then that changes what? Say it with me. Everything. Everything. Paul doesn't stop here. He, he keeps going and, and telling his audience and telling us, this is what I so want you to understand, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away that we would no longer even be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I love how Max Lucado summarizes the meaning of this verse. When he simply observes, when Jesus died on the cross, so did your sin when he rose from the dead, so did your hope. Amen. I've said it several times, but but can I just say it again? If Jesus lives, say it with me. That changes everything. Paul wants us to get this, he, he wants us to understand this and see who we are in Christ in the in the in the In the context of this resurrection power, he has one more if-then statement for us to consider. And so in verse 8, he writes, Now if we died with Christ, and the word is not there, but certainly it's inferred, then we believe that we will also live with him. And there seems to be two meanings at work here. We will live with him in this life. And we will partner with him in his mission To restore God's original and intended creation. But it also means that we will live with Him eternally. One day, this old body of mine, it's gonna wear out, it's gonna give up, it's gonna be returned to the earth. But that is not the end, it's only a transition. Because we're gonna live with Him, we're gonna live with Him forever. Here's how it works. Paul continues, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And if you believe it, If you embrace this truth with all your heart, then, if you believe it, then don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him. As an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. I shared a quote with you earlier. I think it's important to repeat it here again because it just so gets to the heart of the matter from Timothy Keller. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any? of what he said the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching but whether or not he rose from the dead and i proclaim from this pulpit this morning that i believe jesus christ rose from the dead and i invite you to to believe that as well in your head and in your heart and hopefully prayerfully come back and join us for the rest of this series next week we're going to be talking from John chapter 8 if Jesus sets us free then what so please invite your friends as we learn more about the good news that's ours to claim in Jesus I want to leave you today with a question do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave if you say yes then that changes everything. If you have not been baptized, but you say, yes, I believe that he rose from the grave, then would you join him in that resurrection power by being baptized? The water is ready. All we have to do is roll the stone away back here behind me, okay? There's a baptism right under this cover that's right back here. I'm going to go straight to the Welcome Center. A couple of our elders will be back there with us as well. And we would love to talk with you and pray with you. And if you're willing to be, uh, to be baptized, to set that up and, and immerse you into Jesus, if you would like to start a Bible study, there are people in our church who would love to come alongside and engage in the Word with you. If you have a prayer request, whatever it is, Uh, We'll just meet you right back in the Welcome Center. Let's stand together, church. Let's sing.